0: Behind the Shades. I want to welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Shades. And I have, I can't say she's my new best friend, but I definitely will say that she's going to be my best friend, Laura, with us here. So Laura, why don't you tell everyone who you are and a little bit about yourself. Well, um,
1: I'm originally from the southwest suburbs of Chicago. And um, that's such a hard question to, to answer. There, I mean, in what regard, in what, in what, what parameter? Um, I grew up in the southwest suburbs of Chicago and I went to college in, at Illinois State. I started there and I earned my bachelor's degree in sociology. So um, kind of, an, I would say a normal from the outside viewpoint, normal childhood inside the home, it was not great um, I'll come back to that. So I went, continued on with Illinois state. I worked on a master's and finished it in sociology as well from Illinois state. And then I thought, well, okay, this is working out pretty well. So I continued on, went to Purdue and I earned my doctorate in child development and family studies. And that was working out pretty well until, and I met someone online, veggiedate.com. Yes. veggiedate.com. I met a gentleman who was in the military, and he was in Bosnia at the, at the time, working towards the peacekeeping effort there. This was back in oh, 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 oh. I won't date myself. <laughs> um, he, we we dated um, from a distance. He was stationed in Fort Bragg, he, um, redeployed back to Fort Bragg um, in North Carolina, and um, we moved. Up, we got married and moved over to Germany, and I lived there for eight years while I was finishing up my dissertation. In my last year there, I knew I couldn't write for eight hours a day, so I uh, decided to start a second master's before I finished my doctorate. So um, I finished a second master's. I uh, finished, excuse me, I finished my doctorate while I was finishing up my second master's in counseling and personal services for eight years, which was phenomenal. I would not give it up for anything. It was a beautiful time. Um, the opportunity was nothing that I could ever ask for, and it was also the worst time in my life. Um, So uh, I had a son, moved back to the States in 2009. And um, long story short, things spiraled out of control pretty bad. I um, ended up homeless about four years ago. I'm going on five years now. And it was the darkest, deepest, worst time of my life. And today it's not that way at all. Today is heavenly. (laughs) It's um, a beautiful thing to know and understand how dark and deep it can go and how wonderful it is to find the light and be able to breathe. Really take in a deep deep breath and feel okay in my skin because it wasn't like that for a very long time probably for about 20 years.
0: I know you mentioned to me Laura that you had a difficult childhood right and I know the conversations you and I have had it seems there was some competition maybe, or some lack of attention also um, when you're growing up. And I know that you felt that you wanted to um, obtain that in different ways. And I'll let you touch on that as well, but I find it interesting that it seems like what you've taken in school kind of double back to that right? You have the family studies, you have the childhood, right? Explain your childhood and did your education relate back to that childhood that you shared with me?
1: I think you just encapsulated everything in <laughs> my experience for sure. Um, my my childhood was interesting. Um, my parents, I was on welfare. My parents, my, our family, I experienced welfare and food stamps growing up. Uh, I thought of, I thought we were well off. I was, was a, what really wasn't for want in regard to I had everything I wasn't hungry I wasn't you know I had shelter. At the same time, um, by the time my parents divorced, I think I was maybe four. It was really tough. I can remember I can remember three I can remember three instances maybe four of my first memories and my mom can validate that they're they're accurate. I remember colors of carpeting and being picked up by the police and I friend's house, my sister's friend's house, and I'm walking home alone and just being in timeouts, out. Just, just bizarre things. And then um, when we moved, um, it got pretty tough. The, um, I'm the youngest of four. And so my sister is three years older than me. My next sibling is four years older than me and my brother. And then I have another brother who's seven years older than me. And I'm um, confused as a young girl. They're were instances in which um, my brother had um, taken uh, initiative to place his hands on me. And for a long time, I didn't really know what to make of it. I know the age at which it happened primarily because when he was 13, he went to go live with my father. And um, the rest of us were living with my mom and my stepdad. So I know that it was a very condensed period of time. And I, I kinda think that I, I don't know that I blocked things out. I don't remember a lot of my childhood for some reason, but certain things that I do remember are very intense. I remember um, what I was told before my brother went to go live with my father, that my other two siblings, the middle two, they viciously bullied my oldest brother. And because he was kind of like the, the nerdy one. and. And so when he left, I got the brunt of it. And my sister, she was, consistently, I was the bubbly one, I was the happy one, and I was the one who made nice. I was the pleaser. And um, so my sister was the pretty one, consistently <laughs> growing up. Uh, so I i was pretty much called, I was the redheaded stepchild, that um, and ugly, for, um, for, yeah, for about 15 years. My sister, growing up, she was the prom queen, the homecoming queen, you know, voted most popular in high school. Three years older than me, I started high school. She's a senior; I'm a freshman, and um, it pretty much stuck with me for a long time. Um, and I certainly do not blame my siblings for what for and any because as children, we don't know um, being bullied. I understand. Now, in hindsight, what bullying means is essentially power. I mean, any type of discrimination, it's it's power. And being bullied, I felt like I had none. So I became a bully when I was in grammar school. Thankfully, I was able to make amends. Years later, I found the girls on Facebook and they even said to me, what are you talking about? They didn't even know it. But my intent was that I wanted to hurt because I was hurting so much inside. And being able to make those amends, um, regardless, I mean, if Regardless of what they had what they had said, how they felt, it was important for me to to do that. Um, so, growing up as a teenager, by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was the only child at home, and I remember vividly my bedroom. I pictures actually. My bedroom was in the basement. Um, my it was a finished basement, and I remember so clearly sitting on my bedroom my bed in my bedroom just sobbing at night and sobbing and not knowing how to make sense of how I felt so low and why I felt so alone and isolated. I never wanted to commit suicide. I thought about it. I mean, I didn't, I thought about it. However, I didn't entertain the thoughts. Um, So I used other means to sex drugs, um, means to um, placate or numb myself as a teenager. Very promiscuous. A lot of, lot of drugs and alcohol. And the interesting thing about it is that my family has a a strong um, history of alcoholism. And um, so my parents, they didn't drink. I remember coming home, and I I was quote unquote the good one. I was even in high school. I wasn't the smart one, so to speak. I just, I didn't get in trouble because I didn't get found out. Literally, if, if you're if you're late for a curfew, you better call. You better be on fire, or there has to be blood. Right? There's because you're you better be walking in that door not a minute late unless you call. And um, so, you know, I was I was pretty much on that that path. That I I I think one time in high school, I got one Saturday. I never got a detention. Um, grades were fine, not stellar yet. And I would walk I would walk in the house and my parents would be in front of the TV. We'd walk in the front door, you'd go past the living room. I'd walk past the family room. My parents were sitting there in their chairs, respective chairs, and I'd go right to the door down to the basement. How was your night? Good. Nothing. They never noticed. And I, and at the time, I was like, yeah, they didn't notice. And at the time now, I'm like, well, why didn't they notice? And uh, that really came to fruition how poignant that was because later what happened with my brother I'll get to that. Why didn't they notice? Do you see me? And if you don't see me, why aren't you around? And if you do see me, why don't you say anything? So by the time I got to high sc- or to college, I purposely went to a different college than my siblings. They all went to another university in another completely opposite. I live in Illinois. They went to Southern. I went to Illinois State. And I remember the first co- first college party I went to. Oh, you're so and so's little sister. What? I felt so small. I mean, I felt like again, once again, I, I'm just under her, under her shadow. And um, that's when I know I did the whole Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, party, and then after hours, and then then that started to dwindle by, um, I'd say by second semester, third semester, it started to decrease in number of um, parties, not just um, frequency, but also. Um, duration. So I'd go from like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, party and after hours, and then Friday, Saturday, and then Saturday, and then not just party and then after hours, it'd just be one. And then it was nothing. I started to get seriously addicted to school. I mean, I was good at it. And um, that's the way I could finally be seen in my family. That's the way I stood out. So graduating with honors and um, a scholarship, um, staying at Illinois State for my master's, ship, was is like a scholar scholarship. My tuition's paid. And and then, um, well, what else am I going to do? And there's nothing less than a 4.0. They just don't, it's just not going to happen because it's how I'm recognized. So I wasn't addicted to alcohol yet. I wasn't addicted to food yet. Um, I was addicted to school because I was good at it. And it's another addiction. I just needed, I wanted to be seen. I remember when I was in, a. I was taking a statistics class and I earned a 98. And I walked in the professor's office hours and I said, What did I do wrong? He's Laura, kind of 98, give it up. It wasn't good enough. And um, you know, throughout that time I was dating. I'm a serial monogamous, so I had long-term relationships, and I'm never I have a commitment issue. I just don't give up. That's my commitment issue. So I'm dedicated to school. I don't give up. I know friends. Uh, I give myself by the this time I'm at Purdue. And um, I'm working on my doctorate because there's nowhere else to go. I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. I'll just stay in school. I'm delaying my adolescence because I'm afraid to grow up. I'll just stay in school. Wow. Um, Thinking at that time that that's all I knew what to do. And so my first semester at Purdue was so intense. I think I lost maybe 20, 30 pounds because it it was so much. There was no way I could ever I had to have some control, essentially. And so he was my control. Um, not feeling as if I had any power. And I did. I did have power over one thing. Okay.
0: Let me ask you a question as as you mentioned that. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, then I have a follow-up on it right after. When it came to school, were your other siblings, um, were they able to perform as well as you in school?
1: I don't know if they could have. I don't know if they wanted to. Um, that they, um, My sister was the pretty one, the popular one. My brother, other brother was the um, fun one. And my other brother, the, my oldest brother, he did he was kind of lost a little bit. So it wasn't their thing. And that's the one thing. I was either the happy one and the smart one.
0: You know, but that's what I suspected because there was, um, I was actually... I thought of you when I was telling this the story to someone else a couple of days ago and I was hoping, well not hoping because it's kind of good or bad depending on how you look at it, right? But I was banking you to answer that way and I'll tell you why now. There's someone a couple of years ago I was friends with and she's an entrepreneur and she has four children, two by one father, two by another. Now it's two boys, two girls, similar to your situation, right? So that's why it reminded me of this of the story. So there is one um child, the second youngest, I believe, or the youngest. She did really well in school. The other three, not, not as well as her. To your point, maybe they couldn't, maybe they didn't know how, or whatever the case, right? They had other things going on for themselves. The problem with that child, because I came into um to know the, the mother through a friendship and then ultimately meet her kids and things like that, is The mother couldn't relate to that child because the mother herself wasn't studious. The mother herself didn't perform well. So you have the parents not able to relate to the child and you have the other three siblings unable to relate to the child on that level, because this child is standing out in their own way because they want the mother, the parent's affection. And this is how they're able to do it. Because like you, they're excelling at something that they're really good at. So I'll speak to her about this child, about the daughter, And she would say, I can't relate to her. She does well in school. And I know it's a good thing, but I don't feel that overwhelming joy that I feel that when the daughter performs well in dance, when the sons perform well in um, basketball or something else, right? And I would speak to the little girl and I would tell her that two things are going to happen. One of two things are going to happen. You're either going to continue to stay in school, excel. And stay in school, like you mentioned, to prolong you entering whatever it is you think is out there for you. And you're going to do really well. And you're going to leave your family behind because you won't be able to, the more you excel, the less you're going to be able to relate to them. Or the other course of action, you're going to start to sabotage yourself in a way that's going to be noticeable. And at least you're going to get the attention from those you're growing up with. Is that something that you kind of went through?
1: Somewhat. Uh, My parents, none of my well, two two biological two step parents. um, None of my three of my parents did not go to college. They my mother wanted to desperately and four children by the time she's 26 and divorced. By that time, she just didn't have an opportunity to. She had to go to, to, go to work. My stepmother, she had a master's degree. That's after the fact. Um, I do know in my heart that my mother lived vicariously through her children. I have a picture actually here um, that was taken after. She took great pride that all four of her children graduated from college. So, um, well then we're all equal. I gotta go farther. And it wasn't just that at the time. I really didn't. I really didn't think about it at the time. And honestly, I don't think that was it. It's just in hindsight that may have been part of it. I really just. I really think that I was good at it. And I mean, I felt so so small. I mean, I have a picture here of myself at three and my son at three, and um, so innocent. And, thank you. So innocent and, and pure and untouched. There's no tarnish. Um, so how do I cope and and deal with these feelings of the feeling inadequate and and invisible. And um, my family was well. You can have your mood. You're going to go have it in your bedroom. Not, you're not going to take it out on us. Can I have it out here, but not take it out on anybody? No. I, do I have to be happy all the time? Do I have to make it make it seem like everything's okay? How do I cope? The only way I know how to cope is to to, to perform. And does anyone see that I'm hurting? And um, the only way I can get attention is if I stand out. And I can't stand out by by being in a quote unquote bad mood because there are no bad feelings. They're feelings. They don't, they're don't. they not fact. They'll, they'll pass. I didn't know that at the time. I remember as a child, I told my stepmother, I think I was eight, that some, I told her, sometimes I feel so deeply it scares me. And I didn't know at the time that that's okay, that I will survive. It's, it's who's going to sit there with me and say, this will pass. You're not going to die. I didn't know any different. So Did you it, want
0: someone to sit there with yeah. you at that point?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I remember. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I remember telling my mom, you know, Joe's Joe's pulling my hair. He's he's hurting me. My um, Jenny, she's calling me fat and ugly, and, and she's she's saying these things. that well, well, I wasn't there. I can't do anything about it. Okay. Um, how do I make sense of that? Um, I wanted I wanted an advocate. Interestingly enough, when I was in Germany, my last my the one of the best jobs I ever had was a family advocate, family advocacy manager for all of you um, How was that?
0: To, were you able to use your personal experience to motivate you through that?
1: To, to a certain extent. Um, now, fast forward 20 years. Uh, the last four years when I was in Germany, this was from um, 05 to 09. I was hired um, as a family advocacy program manager, which means that my job was to oversee 22 army installations overseeing five countries so my job was at the headquarters for all of europe so um and my my point of contact for my quote-unquote bosses were at the pentagon so my job was to ensure that the family advocacy program which was in place in 22 individual army garrisons which are like army towns cities uh where helps to create education and awareness and prevention of domestic violence, child abuse, sexual assault, and provide support for new parents. In um, regard to like shaking baby syndrome, I was a first time mother. I didn't, I never told to change the diaper when I had my son, I didn't know what the heck to do. And I'm, I'm supposed to be managing the continent? <laughs> Give me a break. Um, so my, my clients were the supervisors at each one of the garrisons. So I didn't, I was, did not have face-to-face hands-on contact with the actual individuals with for whom we served my job was to supervise the managers so a lot of accreditation a lot of briefings to higher officer higher level officers generals and colonels and such Um, so a lot of paperwork even then it was quite fulfilling because it was recognition and um you know on my faces i'm doing presentations and doing briefings and i was able to solidify that position primarily because of my education. And I asked um, the woman who vetted me, I said, why would you want to hire someone who's so young? And she said, because you got that education. I know you're a go-getter. So, I mean, who goes to college for 12 years has four degrees? Come on.
0: But you know what? Look at it like this. You're... Has there ever been a situation where you committed to something that you didn't do well in?
1: Yeah, relationships. Why yeah.
0: do you think that is?
1: Because I never say die. I'm going to make it work. It's going to work. Uh, Did it really benefit me so much that, yeah, sure. I got four degrees. So um, I almost died. I was about five pounds from dying. I almost drank myself
0: for that. Look at it like this. (laughs) Relationships, because you know what? I would say that some people could say that maybe I don't have the best track record when it comes to relationship or someone else or my friends or whatever cases. But look at it like this. You did. Anytime you commit to something, you do well, except relationship. The only difference that I see is because it takes you and someone else when it comes to the relationship. When it's you in a book, it's just you. It's 100% you. When you committed to something, you've been able to do it yourself. A relationship is always harder because it takes two people. No relationship can be good when it's only one person.
1: Um, I'm teaching marriage and family relationships, teaching not necessarily implementing people how to communicate. And yes, I agree with you. It's like sex. Um, You're only as good as your last partner. It takes two people. It takes communication. And, um, so, uh, I mean, I I just fast forwarded a little bit. So, okay. I completely agree with you. And it's, and it's interesting because when we're talking with people, I mean, let me ask you this something. Do you think that I don't, do you think that your partner can read your mind? Yes. I mean, if you want, oh, okay. So, um, so, okay. When, um, how about, how about gifts like, um, oh, you know what to get me.
0: I think, you know, what type of gift to get. You don't know specifically which gift. Right? Look at it like this. You and I have known each other for what? A week? Two weeks?
1: Roughly, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we're intuitive about each other. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you can make an argument that we can read each other's mind. Yeah. And there's distance between us, and we don't have enough history between the two of us. I can ask a question and predict how you're going to answer. You can ask me a question, and I'm pretty sure you can do the same.
1: What kind of gifts do you think I want right now?
0: I don't know you well enough.
1: I will bring you to the store, bring you to the aisle, place the towels in your hand, say, this is the fabric, this is the color, or bring you to the website and say, this is what I want.
0: If we've known oh. each other for, let's say six months to a year, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I can guess with some accuracy to what kind of gift you want.
1: I would think that in the, in the general realm.
0: So, but how, how would I come to that if I couldn't read your mind through experience?
1: You can't read my mind. Can you? You can't, for example, give two people who, who start a relationship. Oh, he can read my mind. He can finish my sentences for me.
0: Tech no, that's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> it's a, oh, he can read my mind. He knows every single thing that I'm thinking. He can finish my sentences. For example, when it comes to relationships, I would rather have not a rose, a single flower, even a dandelion on a daily basis and be treated well over the duration of a relationship, rather than have dozen roses, a limo, you know, just an amazing Valentine's Day, because it's consistency. My ex-husband, when I met him, I was training for my first marathon, because it wasn't enough just to go to school. I had to run marathons too, and um, I had to teach classes, and I had to plan a wedding at the same time, and I had to be writing a dissertation at the same time, because there's no one thing, that's doing everything. And he gave me the best compliment I ever got in my life. He said, C- talking to you is like putting on a comfortable pair of running shoes. And for a runner, I don't run anymore. For a runner, that's that's everything. And um, I remember because the previous relationships I had, I had two long term relationships, one was four years, one was five years. And I met him. Um, it was just up and down, bonfire, and then nothing. And then just a bonfire, and then dude, just ash. And it was like he was like an ever burning flame now later on i don't work that way i'm all energizer he's all you know sit back and just watch i'm not like let's go let's go i'm, a, I'm the motivator i'm the you know the connector i'm like i'm the energizer bunny. funny because i haven't displayed that yet on here but um i don't do coffee because you don't want to see this on coffee you just you don't you don't want to see that in, in in fact i usually get people to say calm down and that pissed me off because i don't want to calm down i want to live life anyway that's up i did a little version there but um just that consistency rather than, I don't know what I'm going to get. And eventually I turned into that. He was the consistent one. I was there in terms of relationship, like showing up every day, but you never know what we're going to get. I'm either addicted to something or not. I'm either working for a figure competition or not. I'm either running marathons or not. Um, and never, 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 never sit still. Heaven forbid I could sit still. We talked about this a little bit earlier. What you said reminded me, um, to sit with my thoughts? No way! Hey, no way! There's no way. Because if I sit with this, that's a, not a safe place to be ever. And I'm a clinician. I'm a practitioner with mental health. What?
0: Did you did you fear your thoughts?
1: Oh, Jeff! I felt yo, Jeff, big time, big time. Why? Um, because because then I would start thinking, and then it would just go and go and go and go and go, and um, I didn't know what would happen. There was this. Where, where
0: do you think your thoughts would take you?
1: I would eat over it, I'd drink over it. So I had to stay busy. So I had, I had to have every single minute filled, every single minute. When I was at Purdue, I gave myself one hour a week to go to the laundromat, to read like People Magazine or something. Every minute was full. Um, study, study, study. I mean, it was just like, it was an absurd. It was, the amount of work was none other, none like anything I've ever experienced after that or before and um that kind of set the tone, and i was good at it yeah i was good at it and i loved teaching oh my god i loved teaching i, I wasn't good at first and then i mean i can say that honestly i was a good teacher i mean that's the thing i don't like teaching i don't like teaching i like facilitating i like a dialogue i don't know if your people your people because i'm like I was like, "Come on, let's go!" I'm, here. I'm walking into a human sexuality class teaching 300 undergraduates, right? And the, the doors up top here, and the, the auditorium goes down, so I'm like right there in the bottom. I'm, I'm walking in with a boombox with Madonna playing "Human Nature," human sex erotic. Who walks in? What the students are like? Who is this? And yeah, I'm up, I'm, I'm up in there. We were doing exercises and stuff, you know, facilitating just groups, and I loved it because I would look in their eyes and be like, "Tell me all this." Look, I just wrote, not, not Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, I really wanted to know how it how influenced them and how it would give comments this one time, like this one time in band camp.
0: <laughs> Actually, you kind of, you do have the red hair, so. Yes. You, you,
1: yeah. <laughs> see, now I'm not trying to feel, I'm feeling the patches I loved teaching and the feedback that I got, see, that's another addiction. The feedback that I got when I started to really, the first time that I taught my first class, I walked down the stairs, I thought I was gonna hurl and I thought I was gonna fall down, I was so nervous. And I talked to my my advisor the next day and I said, why? And she said, cause you care. Okay. And that first year, I was terrible. Oh, I was, I got the feedback that I wasn't, I wasn't as effective as I could have been. How about I phrase that differently? And then I started to listen and I started to really just hear what they wanted. The students, they not wanna be lectured to. And it was this, it's the same throughout my whole life. People, do you really wanna be lecture to it? No. It's like what Toni Morrison says, you know, growing up and I, I, this is how, this is one of my, my most important things that resonated with me throughout my whole life. It's with the students, it's with children, it's with you, it's with me, it's with everyone. You know, your children, you're worried about how they look and you're tying their shoes and you're putting their jacket on. You want to make sure they look right and right. They don't care about what they look like. When you, when they walk into your room, they want to see your eyes light up. That's it. And that's what I wanted growing up. And for a long time, I always wondered, like with my brother, did you know? And if you didn't know, why weren't you there? And if you did know, why didn't you do anything?
0: Do you have, is there anyone that you see now that when you walk into the room, light, their eyes light up to see you?
1: Do you have yeah, that most, now? Most recently within, uh, I'd say about 35 minutes ago. They, um the networking for example linkedin um we discussed that a little bit before the networking that i do it's so i'd like to make rent i'd like to get paid and i'm not and and at the same time it doesn't matter my purpose is to serve i'm not a servant and i won't be treated as such i know my boundaries such that there it's easier for me to say what's not okay than to say what is okay what's not okay is i will not be treated like a servant and why would I do that to anyone else? And when I see the light, when I see your light, the only way I know how to be, and the only thing I know how to do and the way as a human being, what I, how I be, how I am, is to then, I'm gonna share what I have been privy and honored to witness. And give, you can't, you can't hoard light. I mean, who hoards light? So why would I hold that? Why would I not allow you to be seen? Why would I not allow someone else's light to shine? And I wanted that for so long and like growing up and then living in Germany for that long time for eight years, which I would do it again in a moment. And my husband, then he was deployed two different times to Iraq each time a year. It was my time, my time, my little, my little eating disorder, which actually devoured me. It devoured me.
0: How bad was it?
1: I was about five pounds from death. And when I came back to the States, when I was in Germany, that's the thing. Um, I am an empowerment coach for high achieving academic women who experience imposter syndrome and the achievers curse. Nobody Can
0: did. you can Nobody. you explain both of those? Because I've heard that I've heard that actually quite a bit this year. And to be very honest with you, Laura, it's the first time I've heard about it in my life was imposter syndrome.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: explain both for those who don't know what it is.
1: Imposter syndrome, it was coined in the 70s. And most of the research that was done primarily was on women. And, and although 70% of all professionals experience it, male or female, I think that men have a much more difficult time. This is from my own personal belief. There's no research to document this. I'm an academic, so I refer to the research-based. I have no documentation to support that. Um, it's just culturally, I am, my sense is that the, the way men are enculturated or socialized is to be more stand up in terms of professional. Um, there's certain, there's certain, certain scripts, certain gender scripts and certain gender norms. And for women to say, oh, I feel like an imposter. I think that's more quote unquote, socially acceptable to coin. So imposter syndrome, essentially one feels like a fraud. When am I going to be found out? I don't deserve this. I didn't earn it. when are they going to see that I'm really don't not worth it? Albeit with all the external accolades, uh, awards, uh, all the all the credits, all all of the accolades, everything externally will refute that. But the imposter syndrome is how the person feels inside. When are they going to find out that I feel like a fraud? Not that they are a fraud. Now it's different if I'm posing as um I don't know a cop, you know if I'm taking out and you know, I'm taking out a fake a fake badge. And it's to fake that I'm literally an imposter, but the imposter syndrome means that they feel like a fraud, even though all the external degrees, whatever, um, promotions, positions, um, would, would repeat that. So I recently actually, within the last few, few weeks, months, um, came to realize, and I'm not, I mean, I don't consider myself. I feel like I'm 24. I'm not, but I feel like it. I feel it's like a spring chicken. And, uh, at the same time, the achiever's curse is that I have to, I need to continue to obtain another certification, another degree, another promotion in order to feel full. Because there's a, there's a moment, there's a moment where it's like, yeah, I got it. And then there's, oh, wow. Okay. And then I feel like an imposter. Like, I didn't deserve that. Why? Why? So then there's this, is it's like a cycle. It's a vicious cycle. It's like, it's an addiction. And like, um... It literally, it doesn't matter what form it takes. I don't care if it's food, sex, gambling, drugs, um, shopping, uh, money, whatever it is. It's it's all the same. Um, so a, addiction to wanting to be seen, that external validation, that is my addiction. Um, it lasts for a moment. Yeah. And then um, when am I going to be seen again? And the imposter, like, if I'm not, because there was a moment, there was a moment where I was all like, what, how can I be seen? Where, where, where are they? And you know, in fact, in fact, the thing about it is, I thought it was all imposter syndrome and it's and, and like, even the last few days, I'm like, is it just that? Cause I question myself on it. Cause I question, I question my questions, which is sick and like weird, but it's not crazy. People don't ask if they're crazy. And I can say that as a mental health practitioner, I can say that they don't know why they don't ask if they're crazy. I want to speak to those women, the, the men out there, they're new in, their, even if they're not necessarily new in their, their careers, like how much do you want it? What is your passion? And I don't mean just a job or a career or vocation. I mean, your passion. What's your avocation? What would you do where you wouldn't get paid like me right now? What would you do? I get up and um, I'm at my desk and I'm loving this and I'm putting people together. Why do I do that? For validation? Is it for is it to be recognized? I don't know. Sometimes I wonder about that. So going back, to what extent do I feel as if I show up in my life and I'm, am I seen? And if I am seen, when are they gonna find out that it's vacant, that there's a, um, there's a vacancy behind the facade, that is the facade. So I need to do more, be more, am more, be more, do more in order to feel like I am more. And then I fill it up. You know, you fill up, fill up the tank, it's gonna deplete. So it's a vicious
0: cycle. So how would you go about permanently or keeping it full longer than usual?
1: I love that. I love that. You just reframe that. Um, I can't do it permanently because it's, it, it's, it's, like, um, right now my whole gist is mental fitness. I've done the whole physical fitness. I was a trainer. I was a yoga instructor. I've done group instruction. I did figure competitions, ran marathons, blah, blah, blah. It's like, a, it's a going to the gym. Okay. We do physical reps, right. And we train our muscles for endurance and strength. Well, there's also, you know, there's, there's mental mental fitness. We have, we have emotional intelligence we have, which is EQ, we have IQ, you know, intellect. Well, then there's PQ, which is positive intelligence. There's mental fitness. And essentially, it's the same thing. How long am I going to allow myself to sit in my saboteur and sabotage myself? How long am I going to allow my judge to sit there? You know, I call her Anna. She's back there. You little, you're nothing. I can't, you, you're going to find you out, you stupid little. Um, are you not so bad, crazy? You mean nothing. You are a stupid idiot. And they're going to see you for the, that you are. And she sits there and she's like a, she's like a demon. She's like, come on, Emmy. And I, and I see her. I hear her, I should say. Not literally. I mean, the, the thoughts. And, um, I have to work at it every single day to call upon my sage, And that means when I have a feeling, I'm curious about it. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Get off me. I don't want you. Um, You're a, and uh, I'm not going to have you in my life because you're a piece of, and I can say that. And moreover, I can say, I hear judge that you want to be part of me right now. And and, um, you want to sit on my shoulder. You're not part of me today. And my judge, she wants to, um, it's not like wilson and castaway although actually from a mental health perspective no literally from a mental health perspective that was actually very healthy what he did very very healthy um i I totally a lot of people had problems with that i'm like actually that was that was wellness um my restless saboteur i gotta be doing you saw the, the windows and the tabs and i had a hard time closing out those windows i'm like did you see me i'm like before that, before we got on, um, uh, listeners, I had a problem with my computer. And had the audio, so I had to close down my windows and tabs, and I was having a problem with it. And I still have problem thinking about it now. That's my my multitasker. That's my my restless. I got to just be doing all this stuff, and I got to have everything. Like there's one thing. Then I it's like a jack of all trades, mess, mistress of none. I I, I command nothing because I I'm doing all of it. Doesn't mean anything. Um, my hyperachiever comes in. I have to keep doing the best that I can. Well, then, then I'm a stickler for perfection. If I'm a perfectionist, then I'm going to keep trying to make it perfect. I'm not going to turn in my assignment. I'm not going to turn in my um, my memo. I'm not going to finalize the report that needs to complete. I'm not going to finish the job because it's never going to be perfect. And my judge says you got to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, what's going to happen? It's like, um, let's see. Uh, are there? Let me, let me, let me, let me, do you think there are good feelings and bad feelings? Do you think there are bad feelings?
0: No, I think what you do with the feelings determine if they're bad or good.
1: If they're, let me ask you this: If there's a, let's say there's a stove and there's a hot burner on, and you place your hand on it, how long do you think you might leave your hand there?
0: A couple of seconds, not not much, because you'll you'll feel your body would indicate to you it is hot. Remove your hand.
1: Exactly. We need we need those quote unquote, we label them bad. They're not bad, they're necessary. If there's, um, let's say there's a um, there's a um, cup of, of uh, uh, liquid there and it's on the counter and you drink it, is it necessary for you to know and have, have the sense of taste? If it's poison, you need that. It's not a bad feeling, we need that to protect ourselves. The quote unquote problem is that we get stuck in those negative quote-unquote feelings and we sabotage ourselves by staying there so evolutionary evolutionarily matter of fact is that we crave we thrive on protecting ourselves from danger it's a lot it's a lot safer for us to have those hyper vigilant you know got. i mean think about it evolutionary wise we need those protective per- vigilant you know protective feelings those protective ways of being to protect ourselves so they get overwrought, they get hyper utilized. And it's a lot safer to be hyper vigilant than to see the butterfly to protect our species. In our current day, how effective is it? Those those ways of coping as we're chi- when we're children, they're functional, they serve us well, me being a pleaser, oh, okay, I'm gonna be nice, nice, and I'm gonna do well. And I'm gonna, you know, take care of everybody that serves me as a child, as an adult. I keep giving so much to other people. I have nothing left for me. And, and or I get pissed off when people don't reciprocate.
0: Do you think that's where affirmations come in? And I'll give you an example. Um, we're going through this. If I were to say, you know, Laura, let's be friends after this. That's a form of affirmation. How would that make you feel?
1: Um, I don't know if that's so much an affirmation. Uh, I would say... Um, there's a time and place for business as opposed to friendship and affirmation. Um, you are enough. It's not, you're good enough. It's not, you're smart enough. It's not, you're pretty enough. It's not your handsome enough. It's not, you're buff enough. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be whatever it is enough. You are enough. There doesn't have to be a caveat on it.
0: So you'd want something that's more specific to that moment versus something that goes into the future.
1: No. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's hold the space for me in the moment. And in in addition to that, it doesn't have to be qualified, meaning that I am enough. It doesn't mean that I have, I'm rich enough. I'm smart enough. I'm pretty enough. Those are all qualifiers. Just my being. I am enough. Me as as a being, human being, I'm enough. And that's hard. That's, that's really hard. I mean, I mean, who's interviewed you? When's the last time you were interviewed? There's a call to action. That's
0: a good question. Um,
1: that's the next one. That's your next, that's your next live. It's
0: been, a, it's been a while. Like officially it's been, I don't think I've ever officially been on, right? This back and forth, you can say that in a way you're interviewing me.
1: The last one I was on, I interviewed him. You're on, it's on. I'm calling you to action.
0: You know what? I'll put it back on you. You asking me about when was the last time I was interviewed made me feel good. And I'll tell you why. One, it shows you're paying attention. Two, it shows that you have an interest in what I have to say. And three, it made me think. A lot of us don't have that back and forth anymore, right? Like, how difficult it is, how difficult is it these days to say hello, hello, Laura, and just keep walking? Many of us don't even say hi, let alone have the back and forth intellectual and sometimes comedic. Banter like we're having between the two of us.
1: I gotta be honest. When we first started, Laura, tell me about yourself. I was all, I felt quite uncomfortable. I mean, I knew kind of what to expect. I've been on podcasts before, not a lot. I'm kind of new to this whole this whole deal, and I'm not. I'm not. It takes. I mean, I'm. I'm way out there. Extrovert. I'm way out there. I'm like Tasmanian devil. Just, uh, just cr- not crazy. Um, <laughs> just very. I'm a quite an extrovert with a lot of energy and for me to sit here and to just talk about myself i want to have a dialogue i mean it's um to do a monologue it's mono one that's not how i roll
0: no i don't want monologues that's why what we're doing right now is perfect it's much more comfortable this feels so much more comfortable yeah i always give the example it's like two friends having a conversation over dinner
1: oh my god like the last two weeks oh my word these women have been placed place in my life it's been like you know, serendipitous that's i said that word before it's it's been what's been nuts how the things have been happening these people have been placed in my life and that's the thing about it i just say you know i see this amazing soul not a person a soul and i'm like okay i feel the energy have you ever been with someone like, like this is where my energy goes my, my brain is faster than my mouth my mouth is faster than my fingers, so I don't like to text. I just I talk, and then this goes. My brain goes so much faster. Like when you're young, you're running so fast, you fall forward. The, the energy, like what I'm experiencing right now, and especially within the last two weeks, it's been amazing. Just feeling that energy, I want to share it. I want to get it out there.
0: And you mentioned um, souls, right? And a couple of weeks ago. Had a conversation with someone. She mentioned Soul Tribe. Ooh, go on. Right, and I was thinking of that word. And she, she, and the reason why I remember is because you mentioned energy, and she was like, "Have you ever met someone, and right away you click, and it's like you've known the person for so long, but you haven't." And when she said that, I was like, "We must." Oh. Her, her, the conversation I had with her must have been two hours. Actually, the interview's up, and it was it was amazing and she was i forget she was in um in the states and she mentioned to me actually she's like she'd been to canada a couple of years ago but then we started having these similarities and i was like you know what you're right there's sometimes where i would engage with someone and it's like i must have known this person at some point the
1: last 4 days oh my i got it i i just oh my word i just met someone I gotta put you in contact with her. I I never spoke with her before. It was freaky. Okay, she contacted me on LinkedIn. This happened like last week, maybe Tuesday, and um, I had just put together this this the group of other coaches for a particular reason, and they all like mesh because I wanted I wanted to offer them an opportunity for them to have an opportunity to grow. It's very general. So then this woman gets in contact with me. Hey, how you doing? Okay, and I'm all like, yeah, coach, coach cool, okay, and I'm. If you don't, put, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, if you want to connect with me, you got to put a note because I'm not denying, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna ignore you. Okay, I'm not, I don't do the select. So anyway, okay, okay. So on Friday, okay, I have a uh, appointment with her at like two o'clock and then I have a Zoom with these other coaches that I put in contact with for the particular reason. And so I'm on the phone with her for like two o'clock and I'm like, I can't talk to you anyone on the phone. I have to be in a Zoom with you, I have to see you. The energy was kinetic. It was it was it was it was palpable it was so thick i said like within five minutes i said i cannot be on the phone with you anymore i need to speak i need to see you we got on the phone i swear like she was my kindred spirit i thought i knew her from another she's a, a sister from another mother and um the the, not, the odd thing about it is that i've been in touch now granted these people i've never never met in person that's why i feel more connected now with covid my father-in-law died last month because of COVID, and I've never felt more connected. I would not wish it on anyone. So there's, you know, you can't say it's right or wrong, good or bad. It just is. And uh, I met another woman in the fall. Now this, I'll make this relevant. Um, and she and I have only communicated on Marco Polo. It's an app. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's no. um, you can't interrupt each other, which is great because I'm. That's one of my downfalls. It's I'm, issue for me. I'm working on that. Is uh, interrupting people. So, because I'm so excited, I want to share myself. Because it's all about me. It's not. And um, so I, we're on this other woman. We're on Marco Polo. And so I told, I told the woman with whom I connected with on Friday that I had a Zoom, and I needed to. I have to adhere to this um, appointment. And she said, "That's no problem. I have an appointment at 4:30 with um, somebody else." Okay, great. So this woman who I connected with on Friday she gets on the zoom for half an hour because i wanted to connect her with the people that i um put out there to connect with another i wanted her to be part of it and she said yeah she gets off the phone with me or off the zoom with me she gets on the zoom with this other group then she gets off of it and gets on with a person um, that she had the appointment with later that night i find out from my friend who i did the marco polo with from the fall she was the one who who that new woman had the appointment with wow I'm freaking out i don't even know it and i'm all like i was like what i mean okay so i meet this i have a friend that i've only communicated with on marco polo since like the summer fall she and i've been communicating back and forth i meet this woman another woman last week on linkedin i have an appointment with her on zoom friday i tell her about the program that i'd like to introduce her to she's like she's down with it yeah she gets on the zoom with us she commits to her four thirty 30 appointments gotta go gotta bounce she gets off with that I then later in the evening contact my friend on Marco Polo saying, I have this woman. I think I met, I think you'd really be, I think you guys would met, match really well together. She's amazing. Later that evening, my friend from the fall, Marco Polo, she she texts, she Marco Polo's me back. She says, the woman you're talking about is the one I had the appointment with at 430. I think that's why it's serendipitous. And, um, that's what connection is. It's like, that's what networking is. It shouldn't be, a, I don't like to shit on anybody. It doesn't have to be a struggle.
0: No, it doesn't. Not at all. And
1: it's about, it's not about me. That's why it's hard to come on a podcast and say, you know, give, give me, my stuff. Cause it's not, for me, it's not about that. It's like, if I ask if I'm, it's like a job interview or, an, or um, a networking of like a virtual job fair. If I go in there with the mentality of, they oh, are they going to like me or um, I got to make sure I present myself well. Ask them about them. Everybody likes to talk about themselves. I mean, well, sometimes I mean, um, you know, if you ask about them, it doesn't have to be about you. Those are the best listeners. I mean, think about, do you hear me? People just want to talk about themselves. And that's why I want to hear your story.
0: Do you think you're going to enjoy my story?
1: It's not about if I enjoy it or not.
0: As long as it's enough, right?
1: Well, it's enough. That's perfect. are <laughs> perfect. You are epic. What's your dash?
0: When you say dash, what's dash?
1: There's a date that we're born. There's a date that we go.
0: What's April 4th dash? is the day that I was born.
1: It's the dash between the years. Those are two. I read of a man that stood his bee cat the funeral of a friend. He referred to two dates on a tombstone, one beginning, one end. One day born, one day gone, filled up with happiness and tears. Now I know what matters most is the dash between the years. That line represents the time that we spent. With life on this earth. And oh, only those who love us know what that little life is worth, what that little line is worth. One day gone, one day born. filled up with happiness and tears. Now I know what matters most is the dash between the years.
0: Oh, well, you gotta send me that. I like that one. I like that one. So what's your dash?
1: It's not about the cars I drove. It's not about the house I owned. It's not about the money in the bank. What matters most is that I made a difference in the life of a child.
0: And now that I have a reference point, because you've given me two examples, I will say, since you asked me, I'll answer your question. My dash is similar to yours, but I will word it as, it doesn't matter how successful I will become on a financial level. My dash is I want to be successful in the lives of those I've impacted because I believe I am here to make a difference. And once I've accomplished that goal, then I will know that I complete and my journey will end. That's my dash. just,
1: don't don't forget your dash. Remember why you're here. Because um, our stories, what did I hear? You're never you're never as young. You're never as never as young as you are right now, and you're never as old as you're going to be. I don't think I quoted that right. Doesn't matter. Just remember or be in your mind's eye what your legacy is, and that with every day there's an opportunity to restart. No matter how many things you think are quote unquote wrong, there are so many more things that are right.